Hi, I am Tam. You are listening to the Sincerely Her podcast. Today, I am talking to Lori Taylor Davis. Grab a cup of coffee or some tea and sit back as she shares her story. Mentor, motivator, iconic, legendary, style maven, supporter, big sister, friend. These are just a few words that come to mind when I think of Lori Taylor Davis. My admiration for her may appear biased, but very few can lay claim to her accomplishments. To be frank, Lori Taylor Davis epitomizes the word beauty, and it's no coincidence that she has established herself as a creative force in the world of cosmetics. Someone said beauty cannot be judged objectively for what one person finds beautiful or admirable may not appeal to another. I would challenge anyone to say Lori Taylor Davis isn't beautiful and admirable. From account coordinator to lead artist to director and global pro artist slash pro relations at Smashbox Cosmetics and Estee Lauder Company, for two decades, Lori has been at the helm for one of the world's most favorite cosmetic brands. It's no longer common for someone to stay at one company for 20 years, but Lori has proved timeless and irreplaceable. And all these years later, she is as enthusiastic about her career as the day she landed her dream job. When I decided I wanted to share the stories of amazing creatives, Lori was my first call. Always willing to support my many endeavors, <laughs> she did not hesitate to share personal stories that have shaped her outlook on life, setting goals, building a personal brand, mentorship, and doing Betty White's makeup. <laughs> From her trademark big hair and glasses, sound familiar, skills as a face painter, undeniable wisdom, and calming spirit, after hearing her story, you'll quickly understand how this all-around exceptional human being became the face of a legendary brand. Here's my interview with Lori Taylor Davis. You are listening to the Sincerely Her podcast. This isn't an ordinary podcast. This is a podcast that will help you find clarity and win. First of all, I want to say thank you, Tam, so much for having me on your podcast. This is, I think, one of the first podcasts I've ever I've ever done. I've done a oh. lot of different things as far as, you know, video and things like that. And this is my first podcast, so I'm happy I'm doing it with you. Lori, can you tell us a little bit about your background? What did you want to be when you were growing up? All right. So I am a Los Angeles native. I grew up in South Central LA, what is now called South LA. And my kind of segue into my career right now started off, I would have to say, on my grandmother's vanity that she had in her bathroom. So I grew up in between two very strong women, my grandmother Dorothy and my grandmother Mary. And my grandmother Dorothy was kind of the woman that even though we lived in LA, she would wear furs and hats to church. So she was kind of my first, almost like icon, the first person I ever looked up 
to as, and I would watch her do her makeup. So she had this vanity and she had these little Avon lipsticks and she had Maybelline eyeliners and she had all this kind of makeup. And I was just always super fascinated with just her process of getting dressed in the morning or getting dressed for church. So I grew up also in uh, my high school years were in the 1980s. So now you guys kind of have an idea of how old I am. And one of the people that I really thought was this amazing, amazing kind of like human was Boy George because he was a guy that wore makeup and had these crazy clothes and he was from London and I was like, this is incredible. So pair my grandmother's vanity with a guy that wears like color and all this and I kind of started off on this kind of trek of like, oh my God, makeup is this kind of an amazing tool and it became an early obsession in the 1980s. Okay. We're going to go deeper into your job at Smashbox. But before we even go into the Smashbox years, I want to ask you, what was your first job experience? My first job experience, I'm trying to really think. I think it was, I used to, one of the first jobs I had, I was probably about 16 years old. And I worked at a t-shirt shop that was over in what is now called Baldwin Hills Mall. But it was like, I think it was just Baldwin Hills Shopping Center. So I would actually, people would come in and they would get custom made t-shirts and I would line up all of the letters and the stuff that they would want to put on or decals. And I was taught how to just work on a printing press. So one of, that was my first, very, very first jobs. You talked a little bit about your grandparents and having strong women in your life, as well as Boy George. <laughs> when did you know you want to, wanted to pursue a career in beauty? I think that kind of came from, I was in, I was going to um, Cal State Northridge and my major at the time was business. I was a business major. At one point I thought I was going to be the next Oprah because I wanted to have like a talk show and be this like strong businesswoman. But I realized that I just did not love going to college. I didn't like the process. I didn't really love school. I think even in high school, my favorite classes in high school were like my art classes, you know, and I was just kind of like, oh, school, school, school. So. I remember being, I remember you know, going through the first year and I was kind of like, first of all, it was far. I had to drive to school. I was late just about every single day. Sometimes I would go, sometimes I would just kind of get dressed and hang out with my friends. And I was like, I don't think I really want to do this. I came home one day and I had to tell my grandmother and grandfather that I didn't want to go to college anymore. And I think my grandmother looked at me like I had three heads. I thought I was going to get thrown out of the house, actually. I was like, oh, this is going to put me out because she was like, you have to go to school. You have to get a job. But I was like, at the time, I was like, you know what? I am going to get a job at one of the local makeup counters and I'm going to go and I'm going to do that. Cause in my mind, like I would, I love like one of the things I loved, I think most were just like fashion magazine. I would kind of tear through fashion magazines and things like that. And I was like, you know what? I want to do makeup because I think makeup is the most incredible thing in the world and I want to do makeup. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go, I'm going to get a job at a makeup counter. I'm going to save all of my money. And I'm going to move to New York because that's where, all the make, that's where all the big makeup schools were. So at the time, there was a store in downtown Los Angeles called Robinson's. Robinson May. It's Robinson's. Yeah, it was Robinson's first. And then it turned into Robinson's May. And then it turned into makeup. And I was just like, whatever. So I got, a, I went and I, it was like during Christmas time and they didn't really have any openings on the cosmetics floor. So they were like, oh, but you know what? We're going to put you in gift wrap. So I was in the gift, wrap, gift wrapping department and I was like, you know, I, I learned how to actually perfectly wrap Christmas gifts with the bows on top and all this, la, la, la. So then they had an opening at the Lancome counter. So when I started off in 
cosmetics, there were only three big brands. There was Lancome, Chanel, and Clinique. And I remember working at the Lancome counter and I had, I pull my hair back in a ponytail and I had this smock that I would wear. I had a little white Peter Pan collar and I was like, I am living my best life right now. I am working at the Lancome counter. And I would do makeup on these older women and they would always be like, I just want to look like you. And I was thinking, oh, my name is not Merlin and this is not a magic wand. So I just don't know if that's possible, but <laughs> whatever. So, and I, and I, there was a, a makeup artist that an older guy that would come in to Robbins and he had worked, he basically lived and lived in downtown LA. And every time he would come in, I would literally like, just like run to help him. And I was like, if you ever need help, if you ever need help, let me know. I will clean your brushes. I'll do whatever. And I was like, because I'm going to be a makeup artist someday. And he's just like, yeah, right, whatever. So I finally pestered him long enough to where I think at one point he had me like cleaning his brushes and organizing his kit. And I was just like, this is so amazing. I am going to be a makeup artist someday. So I worked at worked there for a little while and then ended up moving to Northern California. And when I moved to Northern California, I was working at a friend's at a business as a receptionist. And part-time, I would work at the Stila counter as a freelance makeup artist, just kind of going in and like freelancing. And I got the job because a friend of mine, her cousin was like the head trainer for Stila, and she needed a model. So she used me as her model, and she knew very little about makeup. So when she went for her audition, I was actually coaching her through her audition. So the girl was like, oh my God, are you a makeup artist? And I was like, yeah, I was not really a makeup artist. And I literally... (laughs) Literally just kind of my early days in makeup after meeting this makeup artist were working at, you know, working in department stores like Nordstrom's and things like that for smaller brands. You raised two points. One, I want to talk about a little bit because I know there's some young lady, some woman out there listening that is probably in college who feels the way you feel. I don't want you to give advice to them whether or not they should drop out. So that's not where I'm going. But what type of advice would you give to that person? Would you advise them to follow their heart? What are you thinking? I think because you've been there. Right. I think for me at the time, that was the best choice for me. And it was more like wanderlust. It was like, I need to, one of the things my grandfather told me early on, he's like, you need to find something that you love to do that you would do, whether they paid you $10,000 or a dollar that you would just, you would, that you can get up every morning and I'll get you out of bed. And I feel like makeup was kind of that. And I feel like, especially working in a department store, you, if in order to have a career, a creative career in makeup, number one, you have to like people because you have to be around people and you have to, and you know, people aren't always easy and it's not always easy to love people. So for me, it was like, I wanted to be around people. I don't know that I would tell someone, yeah, I, Drop out, of, drop out of college tomorrow and follow your heart. But you definitely have to find a career that really kind of just like every day you just feel so fortunate that, you know, I get to do this for a living. I'm going to fast forward a little bit because I want to jump into Smashbox because people know Lori Taylor Davis from Smashbox. I don't want to date you, but you've already dated yourself. <laughs> true that, true that. You've been at Smashbox for almost 20 years, correct? Yeah. So my question to you is, I know you started off as a lead artist, and now you're the director of Global Artists Pro Relations. Can you share a little bit about that path? How did you transition from becoming a lead artist to the position that you're in now? Well, I started off at Smashbox. I was working in... Northern California at Steel, I was freelancing. And 
they one of the one of the local Nordstroms they brought in a new line. It was called Smashbox, and the whole story of the brand was that it was founded by two guys, and they were the great grandsons of Max Factor, and they were LA based. And I was like, and they had a studio. So even though my career path had kind of at the time I had gotten a little bit further away from it, I actually never ever end up going to makeup school or moving to New York. But I wanted, I knew that if I could possibly, and I was trying, definitely trying to move back to LA. I was in Northern California. I was like, it's time for me to go home. I was like, I need to move back to LA. I'm going to work for this brand. They have a studio. Somehow I'm going to end up working in the studio. I'm going to end up working for this brand and I'm going to by then, and that will just help my career path. So I ended up, um, I had a friend that was leaving. We both worked at NARS together. And he's like, I'm quitting. I'm going to go work at this brand called Smashbox. And I was like, I know Smashbox. If they ever have a position, let me know. And he's just like, hold tight. And hopefully, hopefully something will come up. So he literally was like, probably there like six months. And he's like, I have, I have a part-time position. Basically, I took a demotion to actually come to Smashbox and just work freelance. So one of the first gigs, I think in the first kind of like 30 days that I worked at Smashbox, as a freelancer, it, they were like, so we need a whole crew to go to Las Vegas. We're doing this event in Las Vegas and it's called Divas Now. And I was like, oh my God, count me in. And they flew like five makeup artists down and on the bill was Whitney Houston, Cindy Lauper, Tom Jones, and I, I want to say like Faith Hill or somebody like that. And I literally was like, oh my God, in the first 30 days, that I'm working for this company. I was like, I'm never leaving. I'm home. And I literally got to like touch up Cindy Lauper a couple of times. And I was like, oh my God, it's so incredible. So I started off actually as a freelancer. And my job there was an account coordinator, which is basically just somebody that goes around to the different stores and makes sure that when they're having events and doing and doing things that they're all set up and that I'm there to kind of be like the rah-rah and the cheerleader for them. So it was a little less makeup-y and more business, which I think was good because it taught me a lot about the business of makeup. And that's an, I feel like whenever you work at anything, you need to know all the aspects of a job or what you're doing so that you can, because all of the layers, I think in with, for me, within cosmetics, they all kind of relate to the end game, which is women need to buy makeup. So putting on makeup is one aspect, but knowing how it's formulated or knowing how we sell it or knowing how it's marketed is a whole other thing. So I was basically an account coordinator. I was an account executive. I was a freelancer. And probably about 10 years ago, they needed somebody that as a makeup artist could talk to other makeup artists and really kind of promote the brand. So that's when they kind of gave me the promotion of, we want you to talk to other makeup artists and bring them in. And then from there, I ended up working a lot with Davis Factor, one of the founders in the studio and kind of being like his like number one makeup artist whenever we create any types of looks or anything that you see visually from Smashbox. Now that you've shared all this amazing career journey with Smashbox, this question may throw you a little bit, but I'm just curious. Do you think your career path chose you or did you choose it? That's actually a really good question. I feel like I feel like it's 60-40. It chose me and I chose it. I think I always had a love for makeup. I think that anytime... A funny story, my grandmother used to always kind of tell people when she finally realized that I was a makeup artist and that that was a job and that you could actually make money doing that and actually take care of yourself. She would always tell the story of like I used to have... She's like, oh, you know, darling, it makes so much sense. Every year we had to get you a Barbie, a new Barbie, because I had the one just that just had the head and shoulders and you would either do her makeup or cut and comb her hair. So first, of course, I would cut her hair. 
And then after you ran out of makeup, I would take my crayons and I would color in Barbie with the crayons. Well, crayon doesn't come off. So I'd have to actually take Ajax to get the crayon off. But then by the end of the like year, Barbie would have no eyes, no eyebrows or nothing. She'd just be like this blank slate. So I always, I think, had an affinity and a love for just makeup and how it can transform. So it was like one of those things. And I think working at, definitely working at the Lancome counter, there's something that is very rewarding when you can make someone else feel beautiful or just brighten someone else's day. Because I really do like, I love people. I'm a little nuts sometimes, but for, for the most part, it's like, you know, and it's, it's, it was always so fascinating to me that a, a lipstick or an eyeliner or the smallest little piece of makeup, it's like a woman may not be able to afford, you know, $500 or $700 Louboutins, but they can afford a $30 lipstick. And there's something that was rewarding about that. So I feel like it was like I got the reward of being able to do something that I love and what I love to do actually could brighten someone's day. So I think it's definitely 60-40. It shows me and I just let it take me away. What was the biggest challenge getting started in the beauty industry? I would have to say, you know, beauty has changed a lot. Now, I mean, now we're in the, you know, in, in the realm of social media where, you know, we have influencers, you know, a girl can do her own makeup and get a million followers. And, you know, and that's, that's a career path. I think back in the day, it was, you know, it was a secret society. It's like, you really had to know someone who knew someone you had to really, really, really put your work in. And I think it was, you know, there were only so many jobs for so many people. So it was just, you, you couldn't let no stop you. So I feel like that was one of the, one of the biggest just challenges and having somebody that, you know, believed in you to really be like, oh, here, let me introduce you to this person. Or I know this person, let me like take you there and having to know the right people. And actually, cause there are times when people are like, yeah, 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 I'll help you. And then they, you know, it's a lot of lip service. So just knowing how to navigate the business, cause it was a business. I mean, it is a business. You bring up two good points that I want to elaborate on. One being pretty much having mentors. Do you, did you have any mentors when you were breaking in? Do you think it's important to have mentors now? What are your thoughts on that? I definitely think mentors are hugely important. My mentors were like looking up to someone like Pat McGrath or Kevin Aquan, like makeup artists that literally were these people that were creating these amazing, amazing kind of like next level, not just like, you know, runway, I'm sorry, not just red carpet looks, but looks that were literally like art. So I have to say my, I mean, I would just kind of pour through some, like pour through books by like Stefan Moray or Way Bandy, who created one of the first makeup books in like the seventies, you know, this is like way, way, way back when. So I'd have to say like my mentors were people that literally were, were taking makeup so far creatively that you would just be like, oh my God, like, how do they even think of even creating something like that? And more importantly, how did they do it? And how did it last? And how did it, how, you know, how can you work with a canvas that's actually skin and texture and create these amazing, amazing images? Jumping back into, you mentioned Instagram. Mm -hmm. Do you think training is necessary? And I know you talked about not actually having a makeup license and that you started in college, but you just decided business wasn't your path. For sure. Do you think training is necessary with all these Instagram artists booking celebrities as well as securing major deals these days? I mean, Instagram really has changed the game and it's def definitely a different way of marketing yourself. That's really what it's. I look at it as, yes, it's creative and it's creativity, but it's, it's a marketing tool. It's just, and we didn't, again, I didn't have that, you know, way back when. I think that 
we have to kind of look at it as being, it's all, it's the perspective that you're looking at it through because, you know, Instagram can't teach you how to be on set. You can sit there and you can create. That's something you have to get by doing it. It can be your introduction and you have to have the wherewithal to know like the right social norms, like how, so if I am on set, because back in the day, if you were a makeup artist, there was no way that you were even allowed to take someone's picture. What you were doing was something that was kind of in secret. Magazines had the basically embargoed the images. So you couldn't even, you would do it in June and you might not even see your work until like December. So it's just a different, it's a whole different realm. I think that young or the, or the makeup artists that we're seeing now, I think they're missing, I don't know, well, is missing the right word? I think that there's a whole piece of the kind of like puzzle that is a career of knowing like what to do. You know what I mean? So yes, you are talented. You do beautiful makeup. But how do you interact when you're on set? How do you interact with your client? How do you interact with like the person that's in charge? First of all, you have to know who's going to be on set. And then you have to know, and you should do your homework to know before you show up, who are you talking to? Who are you interacting with? It's not just you and your client. That's one aspect of it. But it's like, you know, it's their publicist. It's, you know, there's a whole laundry list of things you have to know. And I think that you, I think that for for the way my career rolled out, I learned by doing because I'm also a visual learner. And that's just, I, I think that sometimes they miss that. They go straight from A to Z and they miss all the A, B, C, D. They miss all the stuff in between. And, you know, I think this business only gives you a few times to like do something real ill. And if you don't catch on really quick, you will not be given another chance. So I think that the way I came up, I, I, it was great for me. Getting through the door is the first step, though. It's, a, it's what you do after you enter the door. That's really kind of like the testament to what your career is going to be. You bring up some very good points. Most of you guys, well, you guys are just getting to know me, but I've managed hair, makeup, wardrobe stylists for, I guess, a little bit over a decade. I guess I'm telling my age at this point. <laughs> and over the years, I shortened or kind of made my list of clients that I represent very small. And a lot of that has to do with just meeting people and they don't know the basics. And I don't have time to teach them, nor do I think it's my place to teach anyone the basics. If you're a makeup artist, hairstylist, or wardrobe stylist, there's just some things that you should already know if you're seeking representation. And one of the things that I offer in my management company is more than just an agency, because like I always like to say, I'm mother, sister, psychiatrist, brother. You can call me in the middle of the night. I can help you with the website. I offer so much. But with that being said, and I'll ask you this question, I find that a lot of artists just don't know the do's and don'ts of the industry. So my question to you is, first and foremost, what's your best advice for aspiring makeup artists who want a career in makeup artistry or who wants to work at a cosmetic company? And then what are some definite do's and some definite don'ts? Wow, that's a really great question. I'd have to say, you know, do the work. I feel like we're so quick and we want rewards right now. We want to go, we want to be the, literally go from A to Z, like so, so, so quickly. The work in the middle is the stuff that helps you to have a strong and lasting career. I'd have to say that B, I always tell makeup artists, you need, when you are on set, let's say that you're in, it's a photo shoot and you're in the makeup room, 
Be the quietest person on set. Sometimes just sit and observe. You don't want to be the drama queen. You don't want to be the person. And guess what? Not, they're not your best friend. You don't need to join in their conversation. That's a conversation between them and their stylist, them and their stylist or, or, the, or the talent and their publicist or the model and whoever. I'm like, sometimes just sit and observe. If you're not, I think back in the day, I assisted some really great makeup artists and they were the people and I just observed what they did and just kind of took all that in and poured it out in my own version. I think we're skipping a lot of that right now. A lot of them people, a lot, a lot of makeup artists are booked from what you see on Instagram and they have a million followers, they show up and suddenly they're doing some celebrities makeup because they figure if they have a lot of followers, I'll get more followers. And with that, a lot of mistakes are made. Be early, show up on time, work, don't complain. Don't be on yourself. There's so, so many, don't be on your cell phone, have a clean kit. If you're not sure of something, you know, there's someone you can ask, but know how to ask a question. You don't want to seem like you don't know, but it's easier to ask a question than it is to for some for you to do the wrong thing. And then there's, and then you're, now you've slowed down the shoot for God knows how long. And you know what? It's not about you. It's not, yes, you, you are a part of a bigger picture. It's not just the makeup. It's not about you, just about you and your talent. Your talent is actually helping to create something else. It has nothing to do. Check your ego at the door. I feel like I was like pros and cons and pros and cons. But yeah, there's so many, so many things that I learned and I, I literally did. And it's, and also, you know what? Don't be so insecure about your talent. Your talent got you there. Own it, but check your ego at the door. Lori, I'm so glad that we're sitting here having this conversation because this is the type of information that I'm hoping someone that is starting out can take and really put to use. And I just want to add this one thing. If you are an Instagram artist and you're listening to this, we're not coming hard or coming down on you. No one's doing that. We're just trying to Get everyone, whether you're working currently or you're just coming up aspiring, or if you are that Instagram artist, we just want you guys to understand that this business was going on before you guys got here. Not that it's not changing, but there are just some things that no matter if you are a doctor or a lawyer, attorney or a makeup artist, there's just proper etiquette that should always be followed. And with the new influx of Instagram artists, some of that is not necessarily being adhered to. Because even like with rates and hopefully in future podcasts, we'll talk a little bit about rates as a creative. There are Instagram artists that come in that are like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Oh, 250. Well, 250 for do and go, if you know, and if you guys aren't familiar, a do and go is when you just show up to a celebrity's hotel and do their makeup or hair or something like that. You guys and then coming, go. Yeah. You guys are coming here <laughs> talking about 250 uh, when there are artists who make a thousand dollars for the same thing and you're going to say 250, you're driving down the market. So that's my argument with whether it's a photographer, makeup artist, like understand the game before you sure. jump in and you ruin it for everybody. Exactly. I hope I'm not being too harsh, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Fully understand. Fully. And that's true. It's like you can't know, you know what, know your worth for sure. And yes, 250. Don't, 
it's almost like don't be so thirsty that you're like, oh my god, I'll take two fifty. When you, I mean, do you would you not want two thousand dollars instead of two hundred and fifty dollars? You know what I mean? Exactly. And you are driving I need down my the market. Commission. Exactly. <laughs> I know twenty percent or there you yeah. know, whatever. It and is. we'll talk about that a little exactly. bit later about how exactly. commission breaks down in a in a future podcast. But on that note, when collaborating, what do you suggest to ensure a cool work environment? I think you know I have had. I mean, in the almost 25 years or more that I've been doing makeup, there have been times, I think some people, I am best in a collaborative environment. I feel like I have no problem. I think for me, when I'm on set, I normally let the hair person go first. I'll moisturize and do all that. The hair person, I'll let the hair person go first so that he'll pull all the hair. I'll let the hair person go first so that they'll pull all the hair back. And it, you do, you basically, you have to, you have to remember, this is a team. It's a stylist a makeup artist, a hair person, a nail girl, and a photographer. You are the five main people on set besides the lighting guy that are going to get the image. And that's your, your be like realize what the end game is. The end game is a beautiful image. And your job is just to be a part of that process to get to the end game. So be collaborative. If someone's like, oh, what do you think? Because I have, trust me, I have been on sets before where the hair person and the makeup artist aren't getting along. And the next thing you know, you're on set and suddenly that hair is all in front of the makeup. You know what I mean? So little things can happen. So I think it's one of those things where it's not all about you. Check your ego. I think sometimes it's like you don't want to be a yes man. You don't want to get walked all over. But it is, I mean, it's it's easier to play nice than it is to be the drama queen causing all this energy. And then the energy just gets bad. And next thing you know, you only got two out of 10 images and you're not getting booked the next time and you're a problem and you show up and they're like, oh my God, there's that makeup artist again. You know what I mean? I think I came along in the days of there were some divas and they would show up and they had their fanfare. I think the makeup artists had assistants who had assistants, you know what I mean? And I look and where are they now? Because when the game changed and it changed pretty about 10 or 15 years when it changed and the budgets were smaller and you had to do hair and makeup. It was like, this is now, now we're on the third or fourth iteration of that in my lifetime where it's like, you know, it's just, it's a different game. So you just have, you have to know how to play in it if you want to be successful. Longevity is everything. Switching gears a little bit. Do you think resumes are still important or do you think it's more about who you know? I think definitely a resume. I I I don't love people that lead with a resume. Oh, I did so and so and so and so and so and so and so. I'm like, that's really great, but they're not here now, and we're on a different shoot. I think you have to have some type of like history of who you've done and what you've done for sure. And that just kind of speaks in the images that you're creating as a or as a creative. You know what I mean? Or just you know what you can show. They need to see what you can do. I think it's very funny when I talk to young makeup artists and they're like, oh, I just, I would never work at a makeup counter. I would never do something like that. And I was like, I don't think I've ever said I would never do anything when it came to makeup. I started at a counter and my journey was different and some people's journey comes comes a different way. So I'm like, yes, a resume is, it's important enough, but it's really just the history of what you have done. But you have to understand it's like, when I came up, we used to have books. There was no Instagram. Portfolios. So you, portfolios, you know what I mean? And you'd have this beautiful portfolio and you open it up and you had about five or six pages. The first five or six images were the ones that was going to, that were going to get you work. And they had to be a true reflection of what you can do. But mind you, the people, the art directors that are looking at that, they're looking 
for somebody that can do the thing that they want because they're not makeup artists. So it literally was like you had to make sure that you had that portfolio in a way that made sense for that particular art director. It's almost like it's your calling card. It's the thing that's talking about you when you're not in the room. So it's just one of those things where it's just kind of like you, I'd say your work should speak for itself. And what you have done will kind of, I don't know, it tells the story of of who you are and what you can do. I want to add something to that. I had a potential client. They actually became a client, but they approached me about an artist that I represent and they were like, yeah, can you send us his Instagram? And I was like, well, first and foremost, and I, I don't like to throw it out there like that, but I was mm-hmm. like, he's an Emmy Award winning makeup artist. Let's establish that. With a long history of not one, but two supermodels that he worked on, both of them for close to a decade. I said, I'll tell you what, let me send you his website and I'll send you his media kit. Now, when I first started with him, actually was just looking at his physical portfolio recently. And I was like, oh my God, I've had this book for a decade because mm-hmm. we worked together for close to a decade. But I find it very interesting for anyone. I felt bad. I didn't like the way the tone was in terms of them asking me about his Instagram. Mm-hmm. Because who asks for Instagram? Like you're coming to me. If this guy has representation, he has a manager, not even an agent, but a manager, then he's of a certain level. A certain caliber. So for this sure. is not an influencer where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, let me see his Instagram. Just so happen he doesn't post much on his Instagram. So you would never know who he's working with. Exactly. But this is the new day and age where it's all about the Instagram. And I think you and I, we're we're from a different generation where it was the portfolio, the hard copy portfolio. Then it went to the online portfolio, which is your website. But how dare you ask for an Instagram? Instagram? Exactly. But that's a whole nother story. I just wanted to add that. No, I know what I I love that you even brought that up because it is one of those things where you're like, Truly, when you are busy in the game and really doing makeup on set, you don't have time to Instagram. You have enough time to watch the monitor, make sure that the makeup is turning out the way that it's supposed to. And then they're like, okay, that's it. Let's change her. You don't have time. You almost need somebody. I mean, the day and age, this day and age, you almost need somebody there that is Instagramming for you. Because if you're really, truly doing what you're supposed to be doing while you are there, there is no time for that. There really is no time. What do you think about asking a celebrity for a photo for Instagram? Oh, no. Because this one is a little tricky because no. some celebrities are okay with it. But again, I'm just from a different era. Like I have hung out with all these amazing people. I mean, I've partied with Bill Clinton. I've done a lot. I have no pictures to show for it because I'm from a different era where you didn't flick it up. One of the things like I grew up around Run DMC and their manager taught me a lot about the game. So I was around Run DMC from from ever. Right. I don't really have very many photos of being on stage with Run DMC and Public Enemy and all those guys, Houdini and all that, because I'm just from a Well, I shouldn't even said all that because now I'm really telling my age, but (laughs) I'm just from a different era where you didn't flick it up. Right. For sure. I don't know. I think in working with some of the clients that I work with, if they're like, hey, get in a picture with me, then cool. But there is, I, I, it's like you said, it was a different, it's a different era. First of all, you don't also don't want to seem like you're thirsty for a picture. You know what I mean? So if they're saying, yeah, 
get in this picture with me, then that gives me license to either regram or can you send that to me so I can post it? And half the time they want you to. Then you'll meet some that are like, they don't, that's not their steal. And to be honest, there are, I mean, I, as a makeup artist, it took me a while to have one separate personal account for Instagram and one separate business account for Instagram because they should be separated. You know what I mean? So it's, I don't know, it's just a super different, different era right now. It's like you have, etiquette is everything. I feel like you have to know your talent. Like I said, your talent gets you through the door. The rest of it is how you act in that environment. I think it's almost as if, if you're not flicking it up, you're not documenting it. It didn't happen. Exactly. You know, the whole saying that my husband always says, if it's not on Instagram, it's not, it didn't happen. But that's, and that's sad because I feel like there's so many moments. There's actually even, there's a, a time earlier this year that for like two weeks, I was like, I'm just going to take a social media break. And you actually are able to kind of be in the, in and enjoy the moment that you're in, you know, like really working with like, like the thing that you dreamed of in this career sometimes gets over, gets overshadowed by the fact that, oh, I have to post and I have to do this and I have to do that. And I, it's like sometimes just being in it and just having that peace for yourself, that's part of the reward of actually getting to a certain level. We can talk about this subject exactly. forever, but I there are a few questions that I want to get to that I know our listeners definitely need to hear okay. your answer to. So let's kind of change a little bit because we went deep on the flicking it up. We went in, we went in, we went in. Okay. What qualities make a good global pro artist for a cosmetics brand? I would have to say one of the, I think I was always a person that no matter what I was asked, the answer was yes. I was like, I can do it. And if I can do it, I'll try to figure out a way to do it. So just somebody that's eager and willing to try new things and almost, I don't know if pliable is the right way, but someone who's just kind of like, all right, if this is what we're doing today, then let me just jump in full free and giving 110%. Like there are some days that are two hour days and there's some days that are 15 hour days or 20 hour days. But remember you got in this game because this is what you wanted to do. I think a lot of hard work, a lot of listening, a lot of being having the answer before the person asks the question and kind of being kind of two steps ahead. You know what I mean? And just really this is the thing that you wanted to do. So when you're there, do it with everything that you have inside of yourself. What's been the most challenging part of your job? Sometimes I think one of the biggest challenges is maybe you might not agree with something that is happening or a certain set of systems that are maybe being inflicted on you. I think that's the most PC answer I can give. Sometimes it's like, sometimes it's like, it's not going to be the way you want it but you don't get to have everything your way all the time. What's a typical work week for you? Now that is, it depends on the time of the year. I mean, there's some days when I might be in front of a computer all day, talking to other makeup artists, telling them about Smashbox. I might do an interview for like Vogue magazine or Glamour magazine or birdie.com. Um, there are some days where I'm literally on set all day just doing makeup and creating images for Smashbox and our campaigns. There are other times when I might have a client that's getting ready, you know, that has to get ready to walk the run, the red carpet. I think sometimes I'm on a flight going to another country where Smashbox is sold, where I might be doing press or might be doing morning TV or 
might be doing makeup. I think my job, I like to say my job is like tofu. You can't tell what it is, but you're not mad at the taste. I feel like it's never the same. No week is ever the same, which I think is enjoyable. Because there are times I have makeup artist friends where all they do is paint faces. And sometimes carrying that kid around, they're like, I just don't feel like painting today. You know what I mean? Sometimes you won't feel like you won't feel like painting a face. So I think my job is different all the time. So I'm, I'm, it's good because it's just, you never know what you're going to get on any given week. Your job requires a lot of travel. How do you balance a demanding career? Now you mentioned you have a husband who also has a demanding career. For sure. How do you balance your career with your social life? And I know a lot of your career spills over into your social life, but how do you balance it all? Like, how do you keep hubby happy, house happy? (laughs) Um, you know what? I feel like he has, he's a good partner. He is my, he is my other half. I don't think I would be where I am right now if he wasn't as understanding and patient and just kind of like my number one cheerleader or the one that kind of is like, okay, I have to check you on that. You were dead wrong. You know what I mean? So he's like the person that balances me. He makes me a better person because he's such an awesome person. I think the, Social part is there are you will miss a lot of really amazing family moments or friend moments. There's nothing worse than everyone's like, Hey, can you come down on Friday? We're gonna go to happy hour. And it's like, girl, I am in Greece or I am in some other place. Well, being in Greece is a it's good not problem, bad. Right, exactly. Well, I won't okay, being in the UK and you're just like, It's cold, I'm tired, I wish I was home, I'm jet lagged, oh my god. So there's a lot of that. And there's a lot of times when I literally will come home and I kind of feel bad sometimes for my husband because he doesn't really go out without me. So when I come home, all I want to do is be home and sleep. And he's just like, let's go out. And I was like, I don't want to go anywhere. Cause I, my job is a lot of like giving and putting out all this energy. So sometimes it's like, it takes a lot to kind of refill, refill that space. You definitely need a fantastic support system because when I literally went to my grandparents and I was like, I can't go to school anymore. And they were like, well, you have to get a job. I got a job. They didn't miss a blip. And they, I think I remember one of the very first times my grandmother kind of realized what I did. I think it was, I had done something on one of the morning TV shows and she had tuned into like KTLA channel five and she saw me on there and she called all of her girlfriends and was like, oh my God, my granddaughter's on TV. And she kind of finally, cause she's like, so you do makeup? And that just didn't equate to money to her. You know what I mean? And this is of course way back when. So it, just having a truly, truly, truly amazing support system, I think some of my first makeups were probably done on my poor brother <laughs> that I told him I would never share it with anyone, but oh well. So yeah, it's just like, it takes a village to help create the person that you're going to become. So having a really great support system. As someone who is established and seems to have everything, do you still set career goals? Oh, every single day. I feel like there's nothing better to me than watching other makeup artists do makeup. And I will watch someone at a counter the same way I will watch a video from a makeup artist like Valente Frazier or Whoop Whoop or Pat McGrath or any, I feel like you, my career kind of goals are, I think it used to be, oh, when I finally get a few pages in a Vogue magazine, then I have reached the mountaintop and then you get it. And they're like, okay, so I did that. Or I can't wait to, you know, do makeup on TV and then you get it. So it's almost kind of like the bar just always keeps raising because I feel like if, if you kind of like check off, if you put almost like a set amount of checked off boxes, once you check them off, then you kind of like, you're almost like you're limiting yourself. So I'd have to say that 
honestly, it's one of those things where doing, I mean, there are times when I will go be in a store sometimes and I'll, and I can still do Mrs. Jones makeup from Atlanta. And she's just so jazzed because you found her the perfect red lip that she's been looking for for years and no one else could do it. That gives you the same joy as doing an ad campaign for Smashbox because I picked this career and I wanted to do this. And I actually get to kind of like feed myself and travel and have a life from something that I really, that nobody told me was a job way back when. This question, it may be a little difficult to answer. I don't think it's a difficult question, but sometimes as women, we're in these rooms and I don't want to say our voice is not heard because you're in an industry, Mm -hmm. obviously, that I guess is really dominated by women. But I want to ask you, and hopefully this will help someone that's listening, how do you make sure that you're just not sitting at the table, but that your voice and your ideals are heard? I think you have to, first of all, the fact that you're you're even at the table is is huge. You have to just kind of own that when you're there. You're like, okay, I'm at this table. But when, you, when you're there, you have to add something to the conversation. You have to have something to say. And it doesn't have to be an hour-long soliloquy on why this eyeshadow is better than that. But it has to be something that is impactful, that someone can walk away with something. And it could be just something so short as to, you know what, here is, here is a segment of the beauty community that is not being served. I know this because I'm in that community and this is what, this is what we should be doing. You know what I mean? Because you work with these a lot, and there are there's a lot of women, there's a lot of women, but there are still a lot of men. And sometimes, you know, people come from different backgrounds. So your background and the things that you know and your knowledge, your life knowledge, can at times add to something that someone else isn't seeing. So when you're sitting at the table, have really something thought out and really think about it and have have something to say. Did you ever feel intimidated when you were first starting out? Oh, for sure. Because now you're a veteran in the game. Yeah, for but, sure. So Always it's like, you know, if you speak up, it's people more than likely are going to listen. Right. But at that beginning phase of your career, did you ever feel like hiding, if that makes sense? I would say it's funny because even um, by nature, when I was a lot younger and as a person, I am actually naturally very shy. I don't love. What? I, it's crazy. <laughs> I am. People are like, you're shy. I'm like, I am. Meeting new people at times, I'll be like, oh my God, I have to really get myself in a right head space to be pumped up and think, okay, because you're also exerting so much energy. You know what I mean? When you're trying to not have awkward conversation with people. So yeah, I mean, there's nothing, I mean, let's say Smashbox is owned by Estee Lauder. I have been in the room with Leonard Lauder, John Dempsey and Fabrizio Frida. And these are basically like, they are running the entire company. And it's very easy to look at these kind of like titans of the beauty industry, but you also have to understand that they're in the room and I know it. I know my stuff the same way that they know their, their stuff. And a friend of mine said that it was always like, Oh my God, you know, it's, it's so hard to be in a room of very, very, very smart people because you know, you always kind of feel like, Oh my God, they're so much more, so much smarter than you. But be in a room of super smart people that know nothing about cosmetics and just start talking about it and you'll watch them kind of melt like, oh yeah, my wife uses so-and-so. La, 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 you do that. And it's almost like it's a level, there's a leveling that kind of happens. They only know what they know and you only know what you know. So people in general are curious about the things that you don't know. 
So it's almost like when you're in a room with people, it's like, you know what? I'm just me and they're this them. And it's like, I like me. And I have a lot of people that like me as well. So if they don't get it, they don't get it. And that's their loss. Great advice. I have to ask this question. I've asked a lot of questions. I'm sorry. (laughs) I love it. I only have a few more. Bear with me. Okay. Any advice for someone who is trying to land their dream job, whether it be a celebrity makeup artist or somebody who wants to work for a cosmetic company like Smashbox, what advice would you give them? Do your research. Really understand who who you're going to work for. Because a lot of things look on the surface, a lot of things look like it's like they always say the grass is always greener. It always looks really, really, really great. Do your research, ask questions. I think there's a couple of tools out there like LinkedIn is one of those really great tools where you can talk to people that work or that work or you can email people that have the job that you want to have. And I will tell you, people love to talk about themselves. So if you ask the right questions, people will talk to you about it. And don't be afraid to go up to somebody that either you're seeing on Instagram or, I mean, don't be a stalker and don't be crazy, but like really talk to the people that have the job that you want because eventually they're not going to have that job. So who knows? You may be the person to get it when it's, oh, eventually they, eventually they may not have that job. So don't be afraid to go up and talk to people. Sure. It's in the Make sure it's in the right setting. It shouldn't be in the woman's bathroom or something like that, but make sure, you know, it's, it's in the right <laughs> setting for sure. If you were adding someone to your team, what is the one quality and our skill you would look for? And also what's important to you? To me, it's like, I don't ask, and any of my assistants that I've had before will tell you, I don't ask anybody to work any harder than I will. I have assistants that would come to me and be like, oh my God, I work for this makeup artist. She was such a nightmare and so mean. First of all, I believe in pay it forward. And I always said, if I got to a state where I could actually help someone to build their career, I would do that. So hard work. And it's almost like I need you to be my extra set of hands. I need you to really pay attention to what's going on because we are in this together. I had had this amazing assistant who has now gone on to be an incredible makeup artist. Shout out to Kieran Boddy. Yes, we have to get Kieran on this Exactly. Kieran's amazing. She's so amazing to talk with. And she literally was like, you were, she was, it was her and I have another maker, another assistant, Gabby Pascua, yes, who has her own, Gabby, Gabby who's so beauty. sweet, who has her own brand suite of beauty. And Gabby literally emailed me and called me and emailed me and called me and kind of lightweight stalked me. She was probably 19 years old and didn't know. And I was like, you know, I'm gonna give this girl a chance. I was like, if you show up today at this time, I will sit down with you. And she showed up. And we had this amazing conversation and I was like, great. So I had Karen as a makeup artist and she came to me from another photographer and I was like, yeah. And she was like the hardest worker. I'm like, she would at times like she would unpack my kit, pack my kit. And there were times when I was like, I need you to unpack it because I don't even know where you put everything. You know what I mean? Like she was, she was my extra set of hands. So she was like almost like an offshoot of me and learned. She's like, I learned so much from you. And there would have been time, there would be times when maybe I'm tired or I would have traveled and then came in and she could tell. And what she would do is she would be the talker on set so that all I had to do was makeup. So it's those little nuances that someone, it's almost like she was almost like my, my husband, but, but my like partner, you know what I mean? So she was really like the person that she knew whatever kind of day I was having. And she was always there to kind of alleviate and make her. So I asked people to be hard workers, be quiet. They are not your new best friends. Do not take pictures. 
And you need to show up before I do because I kind of run a little late all the time, which is terrible. (laughs) What is the top question? And I've asked you so many questions, but I always like to ask people, what is the top question that you're asked all the time, especially about work, about working at Smashbox, aside from people asking for free product? I'm sure that's a big thing. (laughs) I do get asked for a lot of free product because product is pretty good. I think they ask, they're like, how did you get started? And I kind of run through my story. and It's a different, it's almost like, so they're so young now that they only know Instagram. So for my story is almost like, eh, it's a different road. And of course I took a, a different road. I think the one thing that I try to, when I'm talking to people and they're interested in working at Smashbox, I'm like, there are so many different types of jobs. It's not just doing makeup, it's creating makeup, it's marketing makeup, it's packaging, it's working internationally. It's just, there's so many different aspects of working at a beauty brand. So I think that's kind of like the next level to it. So some people are like, I don't, you know what? I don't want to touch people and I don't want to do makeup, but I still want to work at the brand. So it's like those questions, like what, like what jobs are there in, you know, at a beauty brand? So I think that's some of the top questions. We talked about so much. What is your proudest accomplishment in your life as well as your career? Oh, wow. My proudest accomplishment. I'd have to say, there's a, there's a few. Definitely when I was the lead artist for when we did LA Fashion Week here, I was like the lead artist for over like 15 or 20 shows, which is within itself a whole other dynamic of doing makeup. I think another accomplishment is I got to do Betty White's makeup one time, Aww. which is so great because she's like an icon, you know, and she's a golden girl. So that's just so amazing. For the um, young folks, the, for the young girls was everything. <laughs> everything, please. And I also did Ice Cube one time, which was actually pretty cool. He did, yay, not, yay. he did not want makeup. He was like, you're not gonna make me like an R&B guy. And I was like, no, but you need some anti-shine cube. So let's get it done. And just, you know, one of my, actually, I do I have one. I was, this is kind of in the middle of my career when I was a trainer at Smashbox and I was in Atlanta and Smashbox was just opening up at Perimeter Mall. And we were there for a couple of days and a woman came in with her mother. And they had a whole day of beauty and the mom just felt so pretty and she didn't really have any eyebrows. And I told, taught, showed her how to do eyebrows. And then I gave her my card and I was like, if you have any more questions about anything, just call me. About three months later, I got an email from the daughter and the daughter was like, thank you so much. I don't know if you remember me. I was, I met you at Bloomingdale's Nordstrom and Perimeter Mall in Atlanta. And I have to thank you for this really amazing day. She's like, I don't know if we told you, but my mother had stage five cancer and she died and you made her feel so beautiful that day. And I, that story, that was like in 2009. And that story sits with me to this day because it's like the smallest kind of gift you could give someone when you are kind of interacting with them is the gift of making them feel better about themselves. And that is like the gift of beauty. So that's like one of those like kind of moments. That's a huge moment for me. Yeah. It also reminds you, you never know. You never what know what people are going through. Never. You never know who you're talking to. Because I think sometimes people talk, especially on set, they're gossipy and <sighs> they don't really understand who they're talking to. Mm-mm. And in this day and age, you could be talking to the assistant, you could be talking to the director. You just never know. For so sure. it, I think the message is to always be kind when that's, you meet people. I think that's that's the most important. I mean, think about it. You are not working at a cubicle where you're just trying to get through piles and piles of paperwork every day. You get to do something creative that you are able to pay your bills and take care of yourself. 
Do you know what a gift that is? That's a huge gift. So, and you know what? And stop being mean and bitchy and stop, stop being, first of all, don't be a gossip. It's like, keep your mouth shut. I will always say, be the quietest person on set. The person that somebody has to ask, who is that over there? What was her name? Or you know what I mean? Or like, you're the one that stands out because everyone else is losing it. And you're the quietest one and the most calming presence. And there's someone who's just giving all they have to give. As we wrap up this podcast, I have questions that are not necessarily about Smashbox, mm-hmm. but more about Lori. Yes. Lori, what is your top advice for someone trying to build a brand? And what is Lori's brand? Ooh, top advice for a brand. I'd have to say there's a lot that's been done brand-wise in cosmetics. There's a lot of brands out there. It has to be something that is an offshoot of you, something that you almost want to change the world with. And it doesn't have to be a million a million dollar idea, but it does have to be something that is so personal to you that it's almost like birthing a baby. Like this is my child and I want to set it out in the world and I want everyone to love it. So it definitely has to, I think, building a brand that way, because if you put a little bit of yourself into it, it just is so rewarding. You know what I mean? I think my brand is brand big hair. And I feel like it's maybe one day creating something that helps naturally curly hair girls makes the process of having all this on top of your head so much easier. Well, we haven't talked about it, but (laughs) You guys will find out if you don't know, Lori has pretty much been the face of Smashbox for many years. So Lori <laughs> is, as she says, the big hair girl. Big, the big hair and the glasses. Yes. That's how you know and the me. mole. And the moles. The two moles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. What would people be surprised to know about Lori Taylor Davis? Oh, I think there's a few things. I can sew. I can cook. I can change a tire. And I love camping. Glamping or camping? Camping, like camping, camping, camping. Glamping is cute, but (laughs) camping is actually one of my things. I just like being outdoors. Okay. What advice would you offer her, whether it's the young girl or the established career woman? You know what? Give yourself a break. Don't be so hard on yourself. Definitely have goals, but if they have to change, like my husband says, be able to swivel. Just because you start off one way and on one road doesn't mean that there may not be a fork in the road later that takes you in one direction, but that can bring you all the way back around. And it's your dream. If this is really what you want to do, put in the work for it. It deserves that. I like that. Be able to swivel. To swivel on a dime. It has been a pleasure speaking to you, Lori. You are my big sister, oh, you're my damn, friend, you. you're everything. Exactly. So like I told you, it was very important for me to have you on the podcast. I What an honor to be like We've your, talked about a lot. Exactly. I mean, what an absolute honor to be on the maiden voyage of your podcast. It's yes. going to be amazing. Well, thank you guys for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the Sincerely Her podcast. Remember, be you, trust yourself, be happy, travel, be authentic, have confidence, and never give up.